Finance podcasters, we're back with another episode of the Green Finance Podcast. This is Yulia Jutina, Managing Editor at Tearsheet. Today, we're talking about artificial intelligence, a tool that's uniquely positioned to help manage the complex issues presented by climate change. Due to its capacity to gather complete and interpret large complex data sets on emissions or climate impact, it can be used to support all stakeholders in taking a more informed and data-driven approach to combating carbon emissions and building a greener society. Climate AI could really accelerate our path to net zero, but there are still challenges like insufficient access to expertise, limited availability of AI solutions, and even a lack of confidence in AI data and analysis. Companies want to use AI to help with their own climate efforts, but only around half have a clear vision of how to do this, according to a Boston Consultant Group study. To help us understand more about how AI can help us solve the climate crisis, I've invited BCG's leading sustainability expert, Mike Lyons, to expand upon the study findings and explore real-world practical applications for climate AI. And again, before we start, I just want to take a second to encourage you to sign up for our Green Finance newsletter. That's where I put together our latest articles, research, charts, infographics, as well as videos and documentaries for finance professionals that want to dive deeper into this subject. So without further ado, let's dive right into today's episode. Thank you, Mike, for joining us on the podcast today. Super excited to have you here. And we're discussing today a very important topic of AI, which we've covered uh, in this podcast before, but it's really all-encompassing and it's really an important kind of uh, column and uh, baseline for any kind of strategy that we're trying to set forward, whether it's in the financial services sector, whether it's in agriculture, whether it's the public sector, it like it really covers the whole ground. And the technologies on this front have really advanced to truly be helpful in the fight against climate change. So um, hi, Mike. Uh, thanks for joining. How's it going? Doing great. Yes. Thank you for having me. Uh, such an important topic. Uh, so important for companies around the world, and even uh, for those, uh, I know we'll talk a little bit about the finance sector, but also so important for those who who bank and uh, and are a part of the broader uh, financial ecosystem. So super happy to, to get some time with you today. Awesome, awesome. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you started working in this area of sustainability and intersecting with uh, artificial intelligence. Sure thing. Um, so my background, if you go, if you wind the clock back far enough, um, I'm a fairly classically trained chemical engineer. I grew up in Houston, went to Rice University. So I, I had a, a career in the chemicals industry prior to joining BCG. So that was 17 years ago when I made the jump. Um, so come from a heavy industries background, I know what it looks like on the front lines, and I've you know always been in and around you know heavy energy demanding companies. Um, But here at BCG, I've worked on a number of things, but over the last, let's say, handful of years, I've come to lead and develop a lot of our offerings in the climate and sustainability space. Specifically, I lead several of BCG's climate topics, specifically around 
Um, your carbon footprint baselining and mitigation. We, we own an analytics platform and have built something there. Uh, whether it's climate risk analytics, whether it's in private or public sector, we also have a, a pretty advanced analytical suite that we've had to build from the bottoms up. Um, and even some CCUS and hydrogen, you know, when, when it comes to decarbonizing heavy industry, we're also pretty active there. And I, I only bring all this up to, to not only, you know, make the point of, I, I basically spend every waking moment of my day looking at either emissions or climate risk, but with the intent really to serve all of our clients globally. So individual clients, but also in the banking sector when they have a, quite a varied portfolio of companies or even private equity companies. So we, we've had to build our offerings with that scale in mind to really support all geographies and all companies. And so that's that's uh, that's who you have with you today. Is that my background is is quite deep in in those spaces. That's awesome. That's that's great to hear. And I actually did go to Wright University, Rice University once uh, to Houston. I visited it because one of my uh, roommates from New York used to go there. So it was it's a, it was a very pleasant time. Uh, lots of fun. Um, right. But yeah, going back to our topic today, um, it's. I, I, on some ways I envy you, but in some other ways I don't, because I feel like it's such a complex issue and having to go through um, all of the industries and a lot of uh, kind of harnessing of data, a lot of understanding of data sets, uh, it must be quite challenging to do, but um, that's kind of why we have this issue in front of us. The issue of climate change is complex and we need tools that can handle that, right? And AI can gather, complete, can interpret complex data sets on emissions, on climate impact and other things. And it's really at the core of the data-driven approach that we need to take in order to combat carbon emissions and to build a greener society. Um, so in your view, when you're kind of looking, having an umbrella overview of the whole issue, what do you think generally the potential of AI, what can it unlock in our current kind of ways of doing things? So yeah, the, the ability of AI to unlock value, uh, I think is tremendous. Um, and we, we've written on this extensively, you know, in our perspectives, and we see it with our clients. Um, I would say that the topic areas, at least for me, fall broadly into carbon intelligence and abatement. So that's everything around your footprint, perhaps the footprint of your um, you know, banking customers, for example. The other side is more around climate risk, adaptation and resiliency. So within, you know, within both, you have aspects of huge amounts of capital spend. You have aspects of fairness within your customers and your companies, and even within your societies. And to, as you can imagine, you, know, you, you brush up against company data, you know, county, state, US or country level data, um, socioeconomic data, jobs data, capital spend data, you know, individual project you know, level data. So what, what this really comes down to uh, in terms of some of the obstacles is, you know, or if I take a step back, you're trying to go end to end. You wanna both measure carbon or measure risk, you want to enable decision-making around that, whether it's what actions to take to decarbonize, what actions to take to harden installations or cities or communities. Eventually, you want to reduce carbon footprint. You want to reduce risk. 
but you want to do it in a way where you, you can afford the journey, so to speak. So then being able to put on top of this, I would say an optimization layer of I could do many, many things, but what are the right things for me to do for me, my company, my, my, again, my employees, my constituents. And then also on top of that, you know, expanding the boundaries of your company, collaborating. So bringing in new data sets that you don't traditionally have access to in order to improve your analysis, in order to improve your ultimately your recommendations and actions. So that that measure, decide, reduce, collaborate for me is the end-to-end workflow that both companies, communities, governments are are trying to enable. Um, Now, as, as you rightfully pointed out, there are some obstacles. I think data availability and uniformity creates a, a huge pressing issue because you do need the, the harmonization of many different data sets to even turn loose a machine learning model or to be able to use a more advanced analytical tool. And so without that, you're stuck. So there's a big piece around knowing what data to get what's the format, what's the structure, how do I bring it together? So we we definitely have invested a lot of time to do that. And on each project that we do, we find that, that that's the, the, the unfortunate front end of the work to really then get you to the more interesting stuff where you're actually optimizing and making decisions. Um, I, I could go on to some other obstacles. <laughs> I want to come up for some air since you uh since you pointed out yeah of course and and here uh um you know it got me thinking about two things it got me thinking about product design and then it also got me thinking about um i guess not software design but when it comes to ai it's about also keeping you know ethical behavior in mind so it's like problem solving but it's problem solving with intention intention and uh, responsibility and you know how do we take these other variables or this data into consideration? What are we trying to achieve ultimately? What are the guardrails that we should be you sure. know aware of? Um, so how do you think about things on that front? Sure enough, and so I'll I'll go back to the the two main pillars, both you know carbon management and then climate risk management. So in the carbon management side of things, where we have used uh, AI a lot is around, again, data ingestion and harmonization, but then also the matching of client data to this big uh, database of emissions footprint or emissions factor, sorry. And then on top of that, using it to prescriptively offer recommendations uh, to decarbonize or pulling from our, let's say our, our initiative library. So all of our past work where we've done decarbonization, but matching an initiative to a baseline element. So in, in all of that, you are relying on, you know, natural language processing uh, technologies to both bring together emissions factor databases, which in our, in our CO2 AI tool, we have about 160 databases that we bring together. So massaging that data into a um, harmonized hierarchy and taxonomy was a huge lift. We probably spent two or three man years to get that organized. And then I would say, luckily, we use that same NLP matching technology to match client data to this emissions factor database. But to your point around fairness and problem solving and how, how can you be sure that that is working well, a lot of the software design, so the actual front end that we've built, allows humans to quickly, let's say, interact with and diagnose um, the quality of these matches 
and then also to quickly make edits and changes. I think we we find that I mean not only do you need that uh, core functionality because because you need to audit things, but just from an emotional standpoint, humans are not always uh, super comfortable with that black box solution. And so just on the adoption of these softwares or of these analytical platforms, you have to create that easy way for humans to get inside the loop. Because otherwise, you're just not going to find adoption comes. You know, people are just, they won't understand it, so they won't use it. Um, right. and, and on the other side, on the climate risk side, I would say we use AI in a, in a lot of places. Um, whether it's statistical and machine learning models to interpret past weather events, you know, the signal processing that can turn, you know, 3,000 signals into 30,000 or 300,000 signals. So all that, that signal processing so that you can develop a great predictive tool. Um, and it could be things like crop yields. You know, how does weather and crop yields, how, how do those correspond? It could be even how have we seen in the past socioeconomic uh, outcomes, how does that correspond to certain, uh, you know, input signals that we see, wh whether it's around investment or, or industry moves. So we, we use machine learning really in, in both sides of it, um, but it has to be supervised and you have to have, you know, those outputs of the answer, but also outputs related to the machine learning models. So you can control it and continue to tune it because you would hate to do all of this work and then end up with a socioeconomically unbalanced outcomes. Yeah, definitely. Um, but how effective are these processes? So using machine learning and, and artificial intelligence when you don't have the full data set, because there's, as you've mentioned, you're trying to match the client data with uh, the, I guess the, the, the reporting or the data requirements. Um, but there's a lot of gaps there and there's a lot of averages that are being used, like just kind of to fill in those data gaps because we sure. just have, don't have the data today. And I think that's a big, uh, barrier for, for companies not, not going in this direction because they feel they have to do loads more work. They feel whatever they submit, it's not going to be enough and it's not going to yield an effective result. So how do we get over this like hump? Fair enough. Yeah, and get, getting over the analysis paralysis is definitely, a, it's a very human reaction. Uh, but again, it's humans making the decision. So we have to address it. Um, and I, I do work with a lot of, let's say, broadly engineering companies who are very analytically driven. And so telling them, like, don't worry about accuracy is just not in their, not in their vernacular. So part of the way, <clears throat> pardon me. Part of the way that we do handle this, at least on the carbon management side, there's a there's a few steps that you can take, going from corporate level spend based baselines and yes, some more generic uh, you know average emissions factors, but moving into much more reliable and granular activity based data. So how much of this did I buy? What volumes? What quantities? What weights? Um, you would be surprised. Some of the more like some of the heavy manufacturing companies, you know, for example, they have a bill of material for, for the product that they manufacture. So that is why our data sets are built very, very granularly so that we can match really no matter what the client data is. So we've been able to characterize power drills and tractors and movies, you know, like uh, motion pictures 
really anything that we can break apart, we can characterize from a carbon perspective. And that can be scope one and two, so own operational energy, purchased energy, and then even into the scope three space. But the, the final frontier, I would say, is even moving away from emissions factors and being able to directly collaborate with your suppliers. I think that's where industry wants to go. And so those who step into that space, I think will, will serve a, a greater good of like creating a, a very broad global ecosystem of data. And that's some of the work that actually we're doing right now with CDP, which is one of the largest self-disclosure uh, uh, organizations in the world. And so that data will start to come into fruition. And then you're really unlocking a lot of advanced use cases where you can not only fill in data gaps, you can create you know, connections and, and relationships between different products and suppliers. So that, again, to your point around you know, how, how can we <clears throat> progressively advance our analytical capabilities as you get more data and as the data granularity increases, of course, you can do more with it, but it's only going to pull harder on some of the, uh, you know, machine learning models or any of the statistical work that you do. But the the value is there because the, you know, if you can pick apart your carbon baseline, if you can pick apart your climate risk, you're always going to be able to have a more tactical and operational change. You know, something that's more likely to be very tangible and reduce your footprint or reduce your actual climate risk and exposure. For sure, and it's truly a business decision. Like it's it's not about taking a stance, it's not a, it's not political, it's a business decision at this point. And um, and regulation is also coming on this front. So it's better to, um, you know, just start. And I've, I've heard this from multiple sources. Just just start with it. Like, don't you don't have to know everything. You don't need to have everything. Just start the process, because um, the sooner you do, the more competitive edge you're going to have uh, in the future. Uh, clearly, whether whichever industry you work in. But, and we've seen this in the financial services sector as well, with uh, banks kind of you know, feeling that consumer pressure uh, to decarbonize their operations, to decarbonize their lending uh, and investments, um, and to also offer like consumer-facing sort of green products. Um, and I've talked to a number of people that are working around this intersection of uh, data and bank, financial system and climate change. And there's a lot that we can do with the data that we have within the financial services sector. Um, like it's it's obviously data heavy, it's data driven, and there's lots that we can uncover there. But I'm mm -hmm. curious to hear your view on what do you think the opportunity is there that we're just not tapping into currently? So I, I, I do agree that reform and change is coming. I think you can read the tea leaves with some of the SEC um, uh, commentary that's been put out for consideration and, and ultimately uh, to, to vote, let's say. Um, but also on, if you look at, you know, the, the GPs and LPs of the world, so the general partners and limited partners of the world in the private equity space, many of whom, you know, eventually will go public with a company and therefore have to comply. You're just seeing a huge uptake in the types of questions that are being asked of companies, the type of data that they have to report, the detailing of both the carbon and the climate risk out of a company. So this, this is becoming, I think people are looking around the corner and they know it will become some sort of a requirement. But that said, there are many entrepreneurial and enterprising uh, business owners out there 
And they say, well, shoot, if I need to do this anyway, let's think about how we can turn this into a business. And so I've seen everything from, you know, I as an institutional investor or I as a market maker. So like actually a, a market um, operator or even just a, a bank. How can I provide a service, gather a, a significant amount of data from those who I have contact with? How do I monetize this? Both to provide benefit to my own company, you know, the shareholders of my bank or institution or what have you, but also to reciprocate and provide some sort of service that takes advantage of that scale. And then any add-on analytics or optimization layers that you build on top, provide that benefit back to your customers and, and start that virtuous cycle. You know, I provide a service, therefore people toss in their data, my service improves and so on and so forth. So, so I, I mean, I've personally been involved in, in discussions where, you know, banks are looking to accelerate climate-based financing. So decarbonizing farms and manufacturing facilities, you know, across the world. And, and these banks are looking to, to us to help them upskill their people. How do I get my bankers more climate intelligent? How do I characterize, especially for small and medium-sized customers, how do I help them characterize their baseline and therefore can offer back to them uh, decarbonization or abatement opportunities such that they can get more comfortable, that this is a real opportunity, this helps my business, and therefore I should ask for a loan from this bank, for example. So the bank is happy, the customers are happy, and in that instance, it's truly virtuous. And then in other instances, I've seen you know, market makers and, and, and you know, large financial institutions looking for, like, I will provide a service perhaps around uh, characterizing someone's carbon footprint, keeping in, in one place all their abatement uh, initiatives. So again, providing some sort of a service that's valuable to companies who, who perhaps don't have um, uh, means to do it otherwise. But then they are in the middle of this huge data pipeline. And so then these companies can turn that around and either you know, sell the data as a service, um, sell back to individual companies, could be benchmarking, it could be, hey, I, you know, here's a sanitized abatement initiative and here's, here's, a, you know, here's the visibility to that. Or even helping companies understand, you know, where should I and where can I buy offset? So all of these uh, businesses are, are, you know, new margin, new revenue, new growth for these companies. And, and where companies are finding the mutually beneficial pathway, that happy path is, is where you're going to see growth. Because the advanced analytics, the user interfaces, and the strategies that are well suited for both sides of the table, I think will we'll catch and they will scale. To read the transcript of our conversation, head over to Tearsheet.co. If you want to know more about the intersection of finance and sustainability, you can subscribe to our free green finance newsletter in your inbox every other week to get more insights and research into this topic. That's also where I'll be featuring every new green finance podcast episode, so sign up to stay up to date with all of our content. Thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe to the Green Finance Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll be out with a new episode every two weeks, so I'll see you at the next one.